Happy Industrial Water Week Nation. Trace Blackmore here, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, your official place to celebrate Industrial Water Week. Today is Friday. Today we are celebrating careers in this fabulous industry. But this is the fifth installment of Industrial Water Week celebrations as they go on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. We started out with pre-treatment on Monday. Then we celebrated boilers on Tuesday. We had cooling on Wednesday. Yesterday was wastewater. And then unfortunately, this is our fifth and final day of Industrial Water Week. And this is the sixth time we have celebrated Industrial Water Week. And I think it gets bigger and better each and every year. And without a doubt, that is because of you, the Scaling Up Nation, which has fully embraced celebrating Industrial Water Week. And we need an entire week because our industry is so incredibly awesome. And each and every day, you all have been wonderful in sending pictures to your favorite social media account and hashtagging IWW23. Today is Careers Friday. So if you want to take a picture of yourself and then write a brief story about how you got into this industry, that is one of my favorite questions that I ask on this podcast. And as you know, for listening to over 300 episodes, there are not very many similar stories. We all get into this industry a little bit differently and most of us have never heard of this industry until somebody told us about it. Well, folks, that's what I'm asking you to do this entire week is to make sure people know that industrial water is a potential career for them to explore. As we all know, it's difficult to find people in this day and age, and it's even more difficult to find them when they don't even know to look for us. Well, we're gonna be part of that solution, and the Scaling Up Nation Strong is going to let people know about this amazing industry that we are in, and maybe they can consider too. Now, I've also been talking all week about how this is a special Industrial Water Week because not only are we celebrating Industrial Water Week, we are celebrating it at the Association of Water Technologies Annual Conference and Convention. We've been here all week. We've met many of you. I want to thank all the people that have been coming up and introducing themselves to me, all the people that I've met before that say they really enjoy this podcast. So many people have come up to me and they have thanked me for something that they have done in their career, giving credit to me or the podcast. And I think that is amazing. I don't think that credit is completely due. I'm glad that the podcast that I might be a catalyst in that, but let's face it, you did all the heavy lifting with that. 
you got your CWT, you did whatever it was that you aspired to do, you were the driving force in that. I'm glad I could be a part of it. I'm glad this show could be a part of it, but I really think that that is a celebration of your personal accomplishments. But for all of the people that have come up and told me whatever story it was, thank you for that. That is one of my favorite things because folks, let's face it, this podcast does not create itself. And there are a lot of steps that take place in order to get this podcast to you each and every week, or if we're talking about Industrial Water Week, each and every day. And when you share stories like that, it definitely makes it worth it to me and everybody on my amazing staff. Speaking of that, I really want to thank the staff of the Scaling Up H2O podcast because, folks, we did over a month's worth of episodes just in this one week because we want to make sure that we are celebrating Industrial Water Week in style. So thank you to all of my amazing staff. We definitely would not have this podcast without you. And we wouldn't have this podcast without all of our listeners, which we call the Scaling Up Nation. And it is amazing to see how many times our episodes are not only downloaded, but how many times they are re-listened to. That tells us that we are onto something, that everybody seems to be enjoying this platform, what we're talking about. But I don't want to take that for granted because there's going to come a time where we are all going to look at each other during a staff meeting and we're going to think, what do we talk about next? And that is not going to happen because you're going to help us. So if you have a show idea, if you have somebody that you want us to interview, by all means, go to our show page at scalinguph2o.com. Go over to our show ideas page and you can tell us all about that. I cannot tell you what a great resource that is and how many wonderful guests we have had on this podcast because of somebody in the Scaling Up Nation letting us know who we needed to speak to. And that's pretty much where all of our Pinks and Blues episodes come from. They're your questions that we are answering. So please keep those coming. It will ensure that we have a scaling up H2O podcast for years to come. Well, Nation, today is Careers Friday, and I cannot think of a better career that somebody could have besides industrial water treatment. So many wonderful things have happened to me because my father introduced me into this field. I got to be president of the Association of Water Technologies. The very conference that we are at today, that would not have happened if my dad did not share this career with me. I got to do so much with the education committee within AWT. And I enjoy teaching this industry more than anything that I can imagine. Again, if I didn't know about it, I would not have had that experience. And of course, this podcast. I would not have had this podcast. I would not realize how much I enjoy being a podcaster. And I probably would not have met you had it not been 
for somebody telling me about this industry. So my call to action for you this entire week is for you to let others know about this career. And we are really going to double down on that message today here on Careers Friday. So I've been asking you to do that for the entire week, but today we are going to double down on Careers Friday, and I am asking you to post how wonderful this community is, how awesome this career is. Take a picture of yourself and hashtag it to IWW23. We're going to use some of those in our social media outreach and hopefully share how wonderful this job is. We can start sharing some of these postings and we are really going to get the word out about this industry. And just think, if we had high quality individuals that really want to get in this industry contacting us about how to do that. I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have today is finding people in this industry to work in this industry. And I'm hoping that this Industrial Water Week, we are going to move the needle on that. One of the biggest cheerleaders I can think of for our industry is Chris Yee. And we talked to Chris on episodes 300 and 301. Well, here is Chris talking about all of the different generations in this workplace and how we can all succeed in one of the best industries in the world. So, in deference to the seniors, let's start from the most experienced to the least experienced. So these are the general kind of names and age groups. And even in that, there's some variation to your point. There's some variation in what they're called sometimes. And there's not 100% consensus in the quote world about these ages. So these are generalities. So with that being said, Trace, you know, you start out with the traditionalists, right? The traditionalist generations are generally 76 years old and older. So think of our president. He is a traditionalist. Uh, then um, you go to the boomers, the baby boomers, and they are generally 57 ish to 75. So think of um, Oprah Winfrey or uh, President Clinton. Okay. They are in that boomer generation. And then there's below that, uh, younger than the boomers are what are traditionally called Generation X. And those are people around 40, 41 ish to the mid 50s, 56 ish. So think of former President Obama and Jennifer Lopez. And then stepping down in age, they're uh, the millennials, and I have one millennial child. Uh, millennials are generally thought of as 26 to 40. So think of uh, LeBron James, um, for example, or a representative AOC. And then finally, Generation Z is 25 and below. So think of Kylie Jenner or um, a football, uh, basketball player, Trey Young, who plays for the Atlanta basketball team. So those are folks 25 and below. 
these are all very general and stereotypical. So we all have to, you know, that's the big asterisk that kind of umbrellas this entire conversation. But generally speaking, how do these various generations, what is the work style they are most comfortable with? So let's start with the traditionalists, right? Traditionalists believe in a very rule-based, rule-oriented, linear work style. Traditionalists will say, rules are rules, and we got to follow them. Period, end of story. The rules are there for a reason. We got to follow them. You switch to the baby boomers, you know, 57 to 75, they they like structure. They like hierarchy. They like looking at an org chart and saying, all right, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is our structure. There's not a lot of crossing lines or matrices, but this is where I fit in the structure. And I'm comfortable with that. And that's how I like to work. Then you go to Generation X, you know, 40s to mid 50s. They like a more flexible work style. You know, they're like a more flexible work style about, hey, look, you know, for this project, we're going to have this reporting structure. For that project, we're going to have that reporting structure. And it's okay, right? So somewhat flexible. And that flexibility is taken to another higher notch with the millennials. They're very fluid. They're sitting here going, okay, look, I can be the leader of this project. And on this project, I can be a minor, minor player right? The millennials be in mid-20s to 40, give or take. Now, the work styles for Generation Z, 25 and below, is very interesting. Not that we've got a gajillion data points on that, but work styles for them is fluid times two for that. They're saying, look, work-life balance is the key, right? Hey, work plays a role, but I'm okay with great uncertainty. As a matter of fact, I'm very, very comfortable with great, great uncertainty. So when you compare that to the boomers and the traditionalists who are very structured, linear, rules are there for a reason because rules should rule. You know, you mix that with the Gen Z person going, you know, a little bit about the Outback Steakhouse tagline, no rules just right, right? They're, They're very comfortable with that. Most surprising thing I learned is what draws us together. I know that initially I was talking about what differentiates us, right? Obviously, our birthday, you know, differentiates us for sure, right? But what are our common needs? And I came up with four needs that all employees, in my humble opinion, all employees, regardless of their age or their station, even if you're the number two person in the company, we all need this. Okay, and those four things are trust, compassion, stability, and hope. You know, trust isn't just clarity and honesty. Trust means that I can reliably and accurately predict your behavior. In other words, if you run hot one day and cold one day, by definition, I can't trust you because I don't know what I'm getting, right? So trust is big. Compassion, hey, say it loud, but back it up. You know, please don't insult people by just being all talk or, in Texas, big hat, no cattle, right? <laughs> you know, again, my, my Texas, I'm sorry, I my Texas it. showing through, you know. And then uh, stability. There are two dimensions of stability, at least two. One of them is the practical stability. But I would argue 
even more important than the practical stability is, hey, what about my psychological stability from working with you? If I go to work for Blackmore Enterprises, okay, yes, I want to be sure that when you say that I get a truck, that the truck actually runs. Okay, that's cool. That's cool, right? But, you know, how am I psychologically feeling about my station here, right? That's a huge component and pillar of stability. And finally, hope. You know, hope, it's your company's and it's our personal most precious asset in times of trouble and turmoil. In the second and third quarter of 2020, Hope is Zenith Search Partners and Blackmore Enterprises and everyone else's. It's our most precious asset. And that's what we need to lean into. And that's what employees need to have. And that's what we as leaders need to give. Have a clear corporate vision, clear corporate values, and make sure that they're not just talk or words or a poster or a tagline or part of your signature block, right? So have a really clear corporate vision and values. Engage your employees. You cannot over-communicate. Just communicate, communicate, communicate. Engage your employees. Act like you care. Show them that you care by asking, how are you doing? Well, Nation, as I mentioned, there was just so much from episode 300 that we turned it into episode 300 and 301. Without a doubt, you can see Chris's passion for this industry. And of course, as you heard, we had so much information to share. Today, we went ahead and used two clips for today's Career Friday. It is my hope that you take a moment and you celebrate you being in this industry. There are several things that I've been asking you to do all this week. Of course, the number one thing was letting people know about this industry. If you're at the AWT, make sure you come find me so we can celebrate Industrial Water Week together. I would love it if you hashtagged a picture of you and a story about how you got in this most amazing profession to hashtag IWW23. And the last call of action that I have for you on this close of Industrial Water Week is to just celebrate being in this industry. Now, there there are lots of companies out there that they like to have a cake. So if you're one of those companies that has an industrial water treatment cake, go ahead and hashtag that to IWW23. Of course, the official cake of Industrial Water Week is George Washington's favorite cake, which was the water cake. We introduced that, I think, four or five years ago. So many people have tried it. A few people actually liked it. They didn't have refrigeration back then, so you can imagine the ingredients that were in that. They were all ingredients that would not be perishable. A lot of people said they liked it, and there was one company I heard of that whenever they brought somebody new in their industry, they did a rites of passage with them, and they made them eat a water cake. So however you are celebrating, I want you to celebrate being in this industry. If you haven't heard each and every episode this week, by all means, go back and listen to all of those episodes. It's my hope that you had the best industrial water week yet. And here 
to cap off Industrial Water Week, our final encore story, it's Detective H2O's daughter, Dr. H2O. So get ready to solve problems in Waterville. Here's Dr. H2O. Welcome to Dr. H2O, the case of hard diagnosis. Hilda Helen Oxidane, PhD, CWT, sat in her immaculately white laboratory studying the results of her latest scale inhibition analysis of a new polymer she had been developing. It looked promising. She jumped a little when her smartphone came to life in her lab coat pocket. Ringing once, twice, no only once. She was too efficient to waste time. Hello, Dr. H2O here, the best water treater this side of the Ohio. Diagnosing water problems for a healthier system. How may I help you? Wait a minute. Doesn't your father, Detective H2O, say the exact same thing? How can you both be the best water treater this side of the Ohio? We live on opposite sides of the Ohio River. Now that we've gotten that cleared up, how may I help you? Well, Doc, this is Danny. Down at Waterton Food and Beverage, our softener is sick. What are the symptoms? She's not getting a full run. She produces hard water long before she should. We need your services, Doc. We heard you make house calls. Oh, yes. I make house calls. Powerhouse calls. I will be over shortly. Dr. H2O arrived at Waterton Food and Beverage in her white late model Mercedes. She removed her black test bag from the trunk, checked in with the front gate guards, and made her way to the powerhouse. On her way to see Danny, the powerhouse superintendent, she stopped briefly to peruse the powerhouse logbook. She saw several notes of the water softeners producing hard water prematurely with the units manually placed into regeneration. There was definitely a problem here. Doc, you made it. Glad to see you. You too, Danny. Let's take a look at this water softener of yours. Making their way down the stairs to the powerhouse basement, the water softener loomed before them. She's actually two twin alternating softeners, but we see her as one large piece of equipment. If you don't mind me asking, do you refer to all of your water treatment unit operations using feminine pronouns? Oh no, that R over there is a he. We're an equal opportunity offender here. He chuckled. I see. Smiled the water doctor. Dr. H2O reviewed the water treatment logs, observing. So both water softener tanks are exhibiting premature hardness breakthrough at approximately the same time. That means the likely cause is common to both of them and not a mechanical issue on an individual unit itself. Let's start at the beginning, though, by doing an analysis of the incoming city water. I want to know if anything has changed. Opening her black bag, she extracted her water testing supplies and started running her analysis on the city water. Comparing it to her notes from previous Waterton city water analysis, she observed. Nothing has changed significantly with the city water. Total hardness, pH, iron, etc. All are basically the same. The free chlorine is higher than many areas around the city, at greater than 1 ppm, but still within the city's control parameters. By my calculations, your water softener is producing only 85% of the design softening capacity in dropping. Wow, Doc. I told you she was sick. Yes, our next step is to manually place the online softener vessel into regeneration. Observe the steps and perform an elution study to ensure proper brine concentrations are being reached. Dr. H2O stood beside the softer drain line that opened to the floor drain as Danny opened the control box and initiated a manual regeneration. Valves opened and closed, the standby softer unit came online, and the online unit went into regeneration. 
The first step was a backwash to expand the resin bed and remove any debris or broken beads. On a smaller unit, I could use a bucket to measure the flow rates out of the softener during each regeneration step to ensure they meet manufacturer specifications or industry standards. With flow as large as this where that is impossible, one must fall back upon observations instead of absolute accuracy. While the backwash continued, Dr. H2O inspected the brine tank and tested its level of saturation with her sodium chloride salometer. It was 100% saturated, as it should have been. She also measured the brine tank diameter and brine depth. The backwash went through its entire cycle as expected for as long as expected. No cause for malady so far. With a salometer and graduated cylinder in hand, when the brine cycle started, Dr. H2O started recording the salinity of the water every three minutes. Some people like to measure every five minutes, but I find I get a much more detailed elution curve every three minutes. Sometimes the enhanced data resolution helps. At the end of the brine cycle, the slow rinse cycle started. Dr. H2O measured the brine depth again while keeping an eye on the slow rinse cycle flow and duration. Lastly, the fast rinse cycle started and she observed and timed as well. Plotting the salometer data points on her tablet computer, Danny watched over her shoulder and asked, Well, did you find anything? No. This is a textbook example of what an elution curve should be. It shows just over 30 salometer degrees for 30 minutes per industry standards. I calculated the brine usage from the change in the brine tank level, and that is perfectly within industry standards as well. So far, we have a healthy specimen. Let me take a closer look at the floor drain area. Using the flashlight setting on her smartphone, Dr. H2O made a close inspection of the floor drain. Do you see this, Danny? See what, Doc? These little broken resin beads. There aren't many, but there are a few. You don't have a resin trap installed, I see, which could have been helpful. I think it is time for a surgical approach. Let's open the standby softener up. With the other unit online, we have several hours before that one is due for regeneration. Sure, whatever you say, Doc. Relieving the water pressure on the standby softener, Danny opened the top maintenance hole on the softener vessel. After inspecting the ladder, Dr. H. Dua climbed up and took a look. The surface of the resin bed was relatively even, no obvious signs of uneven flow or channeling. The surface also looked clean and free of debris. Next, she measured how far the resin bed started from the top of the vessel and marked this level on the side of the unit. There were no previous markings, so it was not possible to see if there had been any change. What do you see up there, Dr. H2O? So far, so good. Now to take a core resin sample. Improvising a resin thief with PVC piping, she drove it into the resin bed and obtained the best representative sample that she could. Pulling out her magnifying glass, she took a look at the resin. The color looks typical, although without a sample of the original resin, it's hard to tell what color it truly was originally. I do see some broken beads in here. The doctor observed. Then she placed some resin beads between her fingers and began to rub them around. Danny, come here, stat! What's up, doc? Asked Danny as he came running. Watch this! Replied Dr. H2O as she rubbed more resin beads between her fingers. They disintegrated! That's weird! What's happening here? We made our diagnosis, Danny. That's what's happening. Your resin is breaking down due to the over 1 ppm free chlorine in your incoming city water. The chlorine attacks the polystyrene cross-linking in the resin beads, causing its moisture content to rise and the beads to swell. The beads start to break and get washed out with the backwash, reducing overall capacity. I prescribe replacing the resin as soon as possible. I see. Is there anything we can do to prevent the new resin from degrading the same way? 
That's a great question. While there's really no such thing as a chlorine-resistant softener resin, you can get resins with higher cross-linkings that will withstand the chlorine oxidation for longer periods of time. You could also install dechlorination technology upstream of the water softener, such as a carbon filter. I'll work up a report on a few options. Our softeners will be on the mend running at full capacity soon because of you. Thanks, Dr. H2O. Dusting off her white lab coat and picking up her black testing bag, Dr. H2O replied. It's all in a day's work, Danny. Healing water treatment problems is in my blood. In industrial plants across sprawling Waterton, where boilers get upset and cooling towers operate at fever pitch, one woman has made it her calling to diagnose their ills to soothe corrosion, mitigate scale, disinfect microbes, and save water drop by drop. That woman is Dr. H2O, best water treater this side of the Ohio, one doctor that still makes house calls, powerhouse calls. Scaling Up Nation, once again, happy Industrial Water Week. What an amazing career to celebrate. We, of course, are going to have a celebration next year. And if you're wondering when it is, it is always the first full week in October. So, Nation, happy Industrial Water Week. I am so happy that you are in this career, and I can't wait to meet all of the new people that we created from this Industrial Water Week that are going to join our fine profession. Happy Industrial Water Week, everybody.